Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You go low, I go high. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Hey, yeah, I want a scoop, baby. Scoop, scoop. All right, scoop time. Zolgad and Colin today and now joined by our buddy Darren Doogie Wilson of I've, Channel 5. I have done it, though, Judd. I have found your old camp play-by-play tweets, and after Doogie, we're going to... We don't need to get into We are going to... We don't need to get into my play-by-play of training camp circa to, 2009. I am going to read them in 15 minutes. Welcome, Darren. How Good morning, you, gentlemen. My assumption is if it was play-by-play of training camp practices... You should be suspended from Twitter for, I don't know, 24 uh, is, hours, 48 well, hours. That's the account I lost when you I You deserve some sort of Twitter suspension if you did, literally, you did play-by-play yeah. of a July practice. That is pathetic. The fans loved it that at was the time. 2009, I mean. The fans loved it. They had no, they were clamoring for none it. None of us knew what we were getting into here with Twitter. All right, Scoopmeister, where would you like to start this discussion? It's your show. You tell me. Uh, how about the Vikings, of, of which I saw you... Yesterday, as we all stood at the uh, TCO Performance Center and watched uh, day one of rookie practice. Absolutely, and that's what it is. I mean, everything ramps up on Monday. So, I mean, it's really hard to decipher, you know. Can you glean much from guys being in shorts? But I can tell you this much. I'm not one. I'm not collar-like where I break down film. I know exactly what I'm looking at. I mean, there are certain things you can quantify. If a receiver drops four consecutive passes, (laughs) I can tell you, okay, that receiver had a bad day. But in terms of offensive line play... Some other positions. I'm not an X's and O's sort of guy. So I reach out to people who do that stuff, who know that stuff. So I reached out to a Vikings coach this morning on background. I said, hey, okay, it's day one. I get it. They're in shorts. But give me a few guys who stood out. Among you coaches, who are three, four, five guys that stood out? Here are the names I was given. Brandon Zilstra, Tyler Conklin, and Brian O'Neill. I will definitely agree with Zilstra. I think they like him a lot. He has great hands and great, how about this one, body control. Okay. Great yeah. body control. <laughs> but he he does. I mean, he's a guy that that can go up and, and get the ball. And he looks to me, now he's a little older, he's 25 years old, so that's going to help him stand out amongst a bunch of rookies with his experience playing pro football. But he looks like a guy who could be intriguing as we go forward because he is a polished receiver. I mean, somebody is going to emerge as that number three receiver. I mean, is it obvious as Kendall Wright? Could it be like a guy like, you know, Stacey Coley? I mean, I've been told that Stacey Coley feels like he can be that guy. If they use him like he was used at the University of Miami, that he can make a significant jump this year. But certainly Zilstra coming off, I know they liked his performance in the OTAs at minicamp, so it was just piggybacking off 
off those performances in both May and June. But I'm just telling you, it's really hard to glean anything until Monday and thereafter when they have the full pads on. What is your feeling on Kendall Wright? Because when you sign a guy to a one-year, $1 million contract, sorry if I'm not convinced that his roster spot is locked in. And it's not like there were multiple teams chasing him. It's not like he was a day-two signing or a day-one signing. I mean, the signing came... After what, that first wave? Maybe even after that second wave? I can't yeah. remember the specific date. I think it was kind of late second wave. It's not like there was a healthy market for Kendall, right? So, I mean, I think we're jumping the gun if we just assume, okay, you know who the number one and number two guys are. Okay, Kendall Wright is the obvious number three. I'm just saying that. I think there is a healthy competition there. I think that's how they view it also internally, that nothing is a given for Kendall Wright. All right, so the Twins uh, go 9-2 and two at home before the All-Star break. Dukes, they come out of the All-Star break and lose three consecutive at, to a horrible Kansas City team. And we say they're dead now, and then they go to Toronto and win three consecutive, and now they have four against Boston, and I have no idea what to make of this team. Uh, when do you expect, though, because I would hope that Falveen are, are still have their eye towards the future, when do you expect the trades to start with the deadline coming up Tuesday, correct? It the is Tuesday. Trade yeah, the deadline. non-waiver trade deadline yeah. is Tuesday afternoon. I forget the specific time, but it's... I think it's like 3 o'clock. It's afternoon, yeah. It's something like 2, 3 But the point o'clock. being... But yes, they will when, be active. I still, move, I still expect multiple trades, or at least multiple pieces moved. Yep. I mean, maybe you move two guys to Milwaukee, and that's it. And maybe a you move a guy likely. like Irvin Santana in August. Zach Duke would be still one on the top of my list, you know, and I would put Fernando Rodney near the top of the list as well. But certainly they are open. They have let teams know. This I can tell you. They have let teams know, and the Brewers have been scouting the Twins as much as anyone. So of the Red Sox, the Red Sox still presumably have a need in the bullpen. That the the Brewers quit. Sh- uh, they didn't show up in Toronto because they've scouted them so thoroughly. They were in Toronto according to the Blue Jays telecast the okay. other night. All right. I'm not able to verify that. I can tell you oftentimes the scouts that show up at Target Field because there's a check-in process and or ticket requesting process that I can track down behind the scenes. It's hard for me to figure out, okay, who was at Rogers Center at Fenway Park, although Fenway Park this weekend may be a little bit of a different story. But oftentimes it's easier for me to figure out, okay, here are the teams scouting the Twins and or the opponent if it's at Target Field. But I think it's Duke 1, Rodney 2. But I'm just telling you, they have let all these teams know Brian Dozier is very attainable. Uh-huh. Eduardo Escobar is attainable. I saw John Morosi of MLB.com toss out that the Brewers have asked about Kyle Gibson. The Twins are certainly open-minded on that. I think the return has to be fairly significant if they're moving a guy that can be a rotation piece next year because I think internally they view it as, okay, yeah, this stinks this year, but we're actually not that far away. We have so much payroll versatility, Which, flexibility. I agree. They with can that. be good next year. I agree with that. So why move Kyle Gibson if the return isn't great? Uh, in fact, Morosi was on a show yesterday, and I actually heard him float. And I don't think he got this. It, he just he floated how much the Twins could get for Barrios. He they ain't trading him. I get they're that. not trading Barrios now. But I've told you this many times. Said you could get a a ransom. Right you now. could, and you could probably get a ransom, maybe not as much for Rosario, but yes, you could get a lot for, for a handful of guys, but I don't see Barrios going anywhere, I don't see Rosario getting, going anywhere, but I've told you this, Falvey and Levine are not married to any one player. Yeah, I'm just yeah. telling you, if the right offer came along, they would move anybody. But I still, I'm telling you, I still think we need to look at the guys that are that are pending free agents, and I still think multiple guys end up moving by next Tuesday, I think you're right, next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Who is going to start at quarterback for our Golden Gophers? 
Tanner Morgan is the betting favorite, but I told you, my guy Grant Norland at the Quarterback Institute in the West Metro, also inspired athletics. You know, he trains Max Williams, some other guys. He's worked with Zach Anikstead, who's from Southern Minnesota, going back a few years. He told me about Zach a couple years ago. He just said, remember that name. And Zach had multiple Power 5 offers. I mean, Pittsburgh offered him a scholarship. Cincinnati offered him a scholarship. He comes here as a preferred walk-on now in a year. Zach Anikstead will be a scholarship quarterback. But right now, the only scholarship quarterback is Tanner Morgan. And I just think with his one year of experience in Kirk Shiraka's offense, he is the betting favorite. But I also say this much. I mean, if you think about even going back to Western Michigan, the way Fleck and Shiraka run their offense, the quarterback takes a lot of hits. It is a safe bet that they will need multiple quarterbacks. So maybe Tanner Morgan starts August 30th against New Mexico State. Hey, by mid-September, late September, maybe even earlier, at some point, I would bet that Zach Annex did get some snaps. So you'll see both guys on the field this year. Can I circle back to the Vikings and what you said about Brian O'Neill sure. standing yeah. out? Talked with him yesterday as part of a scrum. Yes, and I was there too, yes. It was really impressive mm-hmm. how he spoke about Tony Sperano. I agree, well-spoken young man. And, he, you know, when a guy that young has that ability, we usually take notice because a lot of the young players are kind of skittish about how much they want to say and some of them grow into it and some of them don't. Uh, but... With him, he doesn't look much bigger, though. I mean, it doesn't look like this guy came back with just muscles on top of muscles. He's, he looked a little bigger to me, though. Maybe I mean, maybe, maybe we're maybe talking five bit. pounds, but he looked a little bit bigger. But in terms of the whole, oh, he's got to put on 15 pounds of muscle, mm-hmm. I don't think that that happened. No, I don't think that the happened. The feeling has to be, right, that he isn't close to starting yet with yes. his body? Correct, yes. But second-round pick, I mean, he's going to make the roster. I mean, yeah. God forbid if... If something catastrophic happens September 9th or September 16th at Green Bay, I mean, he's going to be one of those guys. So, you know, I mean, there is a chance. But yes, I mean, the plan isn't for O'Neill to see the field anytime real soon. In fact, probably not even the entire season. I mean, he's more a guy to take a look at for 2019 yeah. and beyond. Wolf scoopage. Well, here's what's interesting. If you go to the Twitter page of at Sean Cunningham, Sean Cunningham is a TV producer for the ABC affiliate in Sacramento, also does some radio work in Sacramento, tied closely to the Sacramento Kings. He put on his Twitter page yesterday some video of a friend whose daughter was taking a tour of Pepperdine University, okay. a soccer recruit or something, but she's walking through the gymnasium sure. at Pepperdine. Jimmy Butler's house in Southern California is near the Pepperdine campus, so Jimmy oftentimes works out at Pepperdine. I've been there. Oh, my God. It is an unbelievable campus. It yes. is, yeah, it's gorgeous. I've seen pictures. <laughs> Never been there. <laughs> I recommend going there. But anyway, <laughs> Jimmy was seen in the gym. Yeah. So this recruit, you know, you see Jimmy Butler. Hey, Jimmy. And, you know, everybody's got video now on their iPhone or, you know, whatever their phone is. Lakers so jersey on? this girl, no, she didn't, he didn't have a Lakers jersey or a Celtics jersey <laughs> or a Knicks or Nets jersey. Uh, but he had a, hand, uh, a wrap around his right hand. A big wrap. And it was across the gym, so it might have even been a cast. Oh, no. So I, I don't know what happened. Knuckle push-ups? I, I can tell you. I don't think it was knuckle push-ups. I can tell you that he hurt his right hand at some point during the Rockets playoff series. Okay. But Jimmy being Jimmy, you know, and he plays through a lot of stuff, kind of just, you know, shakes his hand and kind of went on. So it was kind of a non-story back in April. Yeah. But after seeing that video, that's what popped into my mind. 
Now, who knows? Jimmy's also capable of pulling off a prank. So I don't have the scoop. I know you have me in here to provide the scoop. Well, you're sounding the alarm. That is, is what you're doing. No, I'm not sounding, sounding alarm. the alarm. I'm telling Darren you Jimmy what Wilson. the fact is, that, that there's video on at Sean Cunningham's Twitter page of Jimmy with a wrap or what could be a cast around his right hand. I think we'll find out more in the next 24 to 48 hours. USA Basketball has its mini camp in Las Vegas. Now Greg Popovich is the coach, no longer Mike Krzyzewski. Jimmy Butler is a part of that group. So Jimmy Butler is supposed to be in Vegas today, tomorrow for this mini camp. We'll find out if Jimmy A is there, B is participating. If he is, nothing to sound the alarm about. Heck, I'm not even quite sure there's anything to sound the alarm about in July anyway. It's not like they have a game next week. But just interesting nonetheless. Certainly good talk radio fodder. Why does Jimmy Butler have what appears to be... I mean, it's something. It's something wrapped around his right hand, his shooting hand. Right. But I don't know if it's a wrap or a cast. But certainly, he was only doing work with his left hand in this particular video at Sean Cunningham. All the uh, Wolves off-season drama. Is it over for now? Have we reached that point where, okay, nobody else can hate anybody for a little while and everybody will just ramp up for the season? Or is this... Is this going to be a thing we're talking about all the time? Well, it's not over because I can tell you there's some internal frustration as to why hasn't Carl Anthony Towns signed the max extension that is sitting there for him to sign. Five years, $188 million. Like, what is taking so long? Now, Towns told a few of us at his camp last week in Plymouth, you know, he sort of poured gas onto the fire saying there's some things that that still need to be talked about then left it at that. That was almost his mic drop moment at the very end of of the media gathering. Uh, So my understanding is, my interpretation of the situation is that Towns and Tom Thibodeau still need to have a heart-to-heart conversation. I'll also say this, though. For anybody panicking, wondering, whoa, would, would Towns not sign this contract? And if you go to his Twitter page, by the way, he has sent some weird tweets. I'm there right the now. The last 24 hours. I saw a weird one a couple days ago. I know ago. some league people are wondering what the heck is that about. Now, my thought is he's been doing oh. some promotional work the last handful of days with NBA 2K, the video game. Oh, sure. So maybe let, it's something about the video game, but they are weird your value, tweets. Let your value speak for itself is July 24th. 22 hours ago. Never interrupt your enemy when he is making a mistake. 16 hours ago. Time tells all. So and and then and then the last one nine hours ago is it's lit which I don't know what that but <laughs> but the last but those first three I, I read you let, your, weird? Let, let your value speak for itself what does that mean I don't know I mean I can just tell you there are league people <laughs> wondering not, there are league people that reached out to me saying do you have any idea what the heck Carl Anthony Towns means with those cryptic tweets did Stefan and I take don't over know. His Twitter? That's like Stefan Diggs' tweets are all weird and cryptic, and eventually we're like, oh, they don't mean anything. Yeah, and I'm telling you, I think it might be a tie to, to NBA 2K, but but I'm just telling you, there is some internal frustration. Why hasn't he signed the deal? But I'm just telling you, there's still a very, 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 very strong belief that he will eventually sign the extension. For so those people that, that have reached out to me saying, oh, no, is Carl actually going to play this thing out, turn down $188 million? Then choose restricted free agency a year from now. I'm just telling you, my belief is absolutely not. He is going to take the money. Does he want some assurance? Is this a possibility that he would want some assurance that Tibbs is going to get off his back? I mean, that's what that's what I might want. Is like stop yelling Carl at me all the time. That don't have to be Tibbs and Jimmy almost. <laughs> well, don't forget him. Mean, he called 
during a game. Was it the game in Los Angeles against the Clippers, one of those games? I mean, he called him a mother bleeper. I mean, it was loud. I mean, it was picked up on the telecast. Maybe oh, not the Wolves telecast. I didn't know that. Maybe it was the other team's he telecast. Yeah, that? Brian Winhorst brought this up to me oh, I didn't in know a that. podcast okay. a few weeks ago. I mean, it was clear as day that he called Carl a mother bleeper. What the bleep are you? I mean, there's there's stuff like that. So, I mean, if he's doing that during a game, yeah. and I've heard that he's calmer than ever in practice. We don't get to watch practice. Mm-hmm. That he's certainly not the maniac at times that he was in Chicago. But I have to imagine if he has done that in a game to Carl, what has he done at times in practice? But yeah. to answer your question, Matt, I don't know at 60 years old how Tom Thibodeau all of a sudden is going to change yeah. who he is, right? I mean, that's the way he coaches. And oh, by the way, and he's right about this, he's won a lot of games right. with his style. So I just don't know how all of a sudden you just back away. So I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is looking for that sort of assurance or not. That might be among talking points when they sit down and have an adult conversation. But I'm just telling you, my belief is Tom Thibodeau is who he is at 60 years old. Mm -hmm. Final scoop, sir. Amir Coffey. He had the right shoulder surgery. When was that? Late January, early February. He played in that January 20th game at Madison Square Garden. Then he played against Northwestern a couple days later. Yep. And they said it was a re-injury, even though it was the same injury that was BS. It was not a re-injury or a new injury. It was it was the same injury the whole time. He should have never been playing mm-hmm. January 20th and 24th, but that's a different topic. Uh, he had contact in practice. The Gophers still have these summer practices where they can practice a couple hours a week sure. until August 3rd. It's like early August. Then they'll take like a three-week break, then reconvene again in late August. But the good news, I mean, the headline is... That, that Amir Coffey is is back. I mean, he's he's good to go. He's back from the right shoulder surgery from late January, early February. Outstanding. Thanks, Dukes. All right, boys. Appreciate it. Uh, you got it. Check Take out it easy. the Scoop Podcast, also 1500ESPN.com. Oh, one more, by the way, because yep. I just got a text as, as we were talking. Yep. The Twins have checked in on Chris Archer. Now, do I think the Twins are on the cusp of a Chris Archer trade? Too, and remember, they, they checked in on him last winter. Yep. I mean, half half the industry. In fact, I was told over half the industry has yep. checked in on Chris Archer. So... You know, it's 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 what you do this time of the year as a front office. Yep. You know, you just you take the sure. temperature of, of almost every team and, sure. and you check in and the Twins and Rays just made a tiny transaction a week ago for that minor league outfielder mm-hmm. that the Twins now have in Rochester. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying the Twins have inquired, but but I don't expect the Twins to trade for Chris Archer right now. Scoop podcast stuff at fifteen hundred ESPN.com. Also iTunes, check it out. Uh, always good stuff from Dugues. Collar, what's coming up next? I found your old tweets. I found your play-by-play tweets from Camp 09. I so don't want to see They're so good. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley-doakley. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. What do you think? (laughs) It's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All right, caller. All right, this is so. This good. is this. I'm is, so happy. He is so thrilled. He's found these tweets from 2009. I was giddy for 20 minutes. I know. When I was finding them, when Doogie was talking, I was trying not to. How did Vince like, Tuss help, help you, my my former Star Tribune colleague, who's great on the copy desk there? I saw you thank him. So he did he unearth more tweets? Uh, yes. And he, to, so I got people outing me now on tweets. He told me that the old Judd. Now there was another old Judd that I found from a mini camp, and some of those were funny. But these are even better because now it's the at Access Vikings is your old account. Okay. Access Vikings. So I just, all I did was, I typed in booty. 
Because I knew that John David Booty Booty was around, and that would take me back to 2009. So I found it. They still exist, and I want to read you some of my favorite (laughs) tweets. Let me. This from July 8th, 2009. Benny Sapp just failed to hold on to a booty pass for a pick in the final play of 7-on-7. Now on to special cats, which you say means special categories. Special categories, yeah. Why wouldn't you write out the whole word? Because I was doing it on a BlackBerry at the time, and I was going as quick as possible. So special cats. And by the way, special cats, as an in-the-know football guy, I'm allowed to use the lingo. That's right. Uh, Booty short pass in late game drill, just picked by safety Hussan Abdullah in end zone, intended for Nick Moore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we know who the pass is intended for. And people sitting at their workstations in 2009 were saying, Judd, I need more. They got more, I bet, didn't they, Matthew? Darius Raynon just made a nice leaping catch of a short pass from Booty. Jamar Johnson and Raynon are waging a good battle. <laughs> Darius Renaud, by the way. <laughs> Whatever. He was a kick returner as well. I care. I'm a historian going back to 2009. Uh, yeah, that's definitely, definitely right. Um, booty deep pass for Bobby Williams is caught as receiver goes up high over Sap. Rosenfels getting day off mean that Booty gets reps again. Booty hits Vinny Peretta on 25-yard pass. Yard is spelled Y-D. I forgot about I was going fast. In front of Sap. Nice pass. Now, there was one that I'm trying to find. Oh, this is how I knew it was you, for sure. Okay. In an install drill and against air, but Harvin caught TD pass from Booty. One fan even clapped. Wow. Booty hits Garrett Mills with nice pass over the middle. I feel like a lot of these have some great detail. And like that last one, where where's the detail? Where's the I know. where are you painting I the know. picture? I'm sorry, read it again. Which there one? There are so many John David Booty tweets. Yeah, John David Booty was a, a quarterback in training camp and Vikings fans wanted to know what was going on with him. Booty, Booty now getting some What's snaps in Applebee's. Excuse me. I'm reading these important oh, tweets. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank I just you. was going back through my Thank memories. Thank you. Booty now getting some snaps in group install. Third string guy never gets many. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Group installation. Group installation is tough to crack. Very tough to crack. Aaron Henderson just picked off a JD booty pass during a one-on-one drill. Pass intended for Ian Johnson. It's a tough day. What? You were tweeting one-on-one drills? Oh yeah. Oh, I was tweeting constantly. <laughs> I was tweeting constantly. How did you have time to actually watch the action? You're probably tweeting on a BlackBerry at the point at that time, right? Yep, that's great. Quick thumbs, abbreviations. This is just one player. I just searched one player. I was bringing it. Okay, here's my favorite. Bringing it. Now I know Courtney Cronin, who's going to join us at uh, like 12:15. She would really enjoy this one. John Sullivan practicing his long snapping on the field, but it's J.D. Booty who appears to be taking the snaps. Judd. They're yep. messing around on the side, and you're tweeting it? The Vikings didn't. We were very curious at that time. And we didn't realize that Jared Allen was the backup long snapper. We were trying to figure it out. You don't understand you how You were trying to figure out who the backup long snapper was? I Excuse once, me? I once, I once wrote, <laughs> I, once, I once unearthed for the Minneapolis-based Star Tribune who the backup holder was. <laughs> who was who it? Was it? Uh, Brad Johnson. Ah, sure. Back when I did this, I hey, I came, I came from two years on the Packer beat, where a change in the dime package warranted a headline in the newspaper. 
There was no bit of minutia involving my coverage of the Vikings that was too small to get in the Star Tribune. Collar, I'm with you that live tweeting practices is absolute lunacy and you should be banned from Twitter. Here's my question, though. Our friend Courtney Cronin tweeting about 20 minutes ago a video, Kirk Cousins' walkthrough reps for you, as she says. She uh, tweeted a video of Kirk Cousins handing it off to Rock Thomas in walkthrough and going around the left end or through the through the hole. Is that against the Twitter rules as well if you include the video? I mean, the videos are kind of okay, I think. But the only time that I've ever tweeted any sort of mini camp or training camp video was just when Brian O'Neill was catching passes because I thought that was hilarious. Uh, I'm not going to say it's against the rules, though, because at least you could sort of watch something happening. Give her a but pass. When you're tweeting, when you're tweeting that John Sullivan is practicing his long snapping, I mean, what what are you thinking? I'm thinking that the this people, is a great detail. I'm thinking. People will love I'm this. thinking people at their desks <laughs> who are starving for Viking information but can't get down to Mankato. Uh, are giddy right now that I'm giving them I'm giving them a feel for what it was like in that southern Minnesota town that I'm day. I'm counting like 30 John David Booty tweets. Yeah, he was a quarterback. You're, you're, there's no detail too small when it comes to the quarterback position in that battle. <sighs> I'd say you're in the right job now, but I don't even know. No, no. <laughs> a lot of people would disagree with you on that if you did make that statement. The numbers the numbers don't say. The numbers say otherwise, gentlemen. The numbers say I mean, that I'm in, in the exact right job. This is how the lead beat reporter used to act, huh? This is what the lead beat reporter did on, on the a daily basis. The number one guy, the ace. And you don't understand, too. Let me tell you something. Because you, 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 you don't drink. Because you don't drink. Let me tell you this. <laughs> I, would be, I would be working the bars to work my sources late into the night. <laughs> to find out if John late into the night, and then I would be on those, And then I would be on those human fields the next day getting this information out. <laughs> they go up to the special teams coach as he's sidling up to the bar. So... Is JD Booty going to make it? (laughs) Believe me, I had plenty of conversations in Boomtown with my guy Paul Ferraro, who was the special teams coordinator. I've retweeted a bunch of them. So, all right, I'm glad we're done with that. Let's come back. We're not done. All right, let's come back and uh, talk to uh, Smalley next. We will. He he was in Toronto at least. We'll find out what's up with this up and down team next. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now. Now. With former twins great turned FSN analyst Roy Smalley. All right, back. Uh, Mackie and Judd today. TCL Broadcast Studios is actually Zolgan Collar, and Roy should be joining us here briefly. Uh, before he does... Give us the uh, tweet that you just saw as, uh, I wouldn't call it breaking news, but it's certainly an interesting tidbit. Well, John Heyman says that the New York Yankees are potentially interested in Irvin Santana and others, including Odorizzi, Gibson, and Lynn. And then uh, hmm. thanks for Colin, who sent that along. Okay. Hi, Roy. Your, hey. Your thoughts on, on a, a p- potential trade here and also your thoughts on this. What do you make of this team? I mean, you go to Kia, so so you're nine and two on the homestand, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is in- interesting. And then you go to Kansas City and get swept, and you're thinking it's done. And then you go to Toronto and sweep. Uh, what's your take on this team? You know, it's it's hard to get a uh, it's hard to get a read, uh, uh, other than to say that there there's still enough guys in the lineup 
that are uh, that are learning about who uh, who they're going to be as big league hitters. And there's guys in the lineup and not in the lineup. You know, obviously Buxton and Sano, who you know were being uh, counted on and you know have have not you know have have not been effective yet either for injuries or or uh, whatever. So. And, you know, Polanco just back, you, you don't take, you know, 81 games off and then, or however many, 80 games off and then come back and hit like he did the last half of last year. We're waiting for him to kind of break out from both sides of the plate. So it's, there's, there's just a lot of inconsistency right now uh, for a lot of reasons. And, as bad as any big league club would be, like Kansas City. I mean, they're still a big league club that have the, have the uh, ability to beat a, a team that's that's still still searching a little bit, you know, offensively in the lineup. Other than that, you know, I think for the most part they have a chance to go out there and win with whatever whatever starter uh, they're running out there. And and if the if the offense will gel, then they'll have a, a pretty nice second half, and we'll just see where it goes. Hey, Roy, how do you feel? As a, a guy who played in a previous era, um, when you see five infielders or four outfielders or a pitcher, as we did yesterday in Sergio Romo, play third base for a bit and then come back in and pitch, do you love it? Does it drive you crazy? Do you have your own hilarious ideas of your own? How do you react to that? It uh, certainly doesn't drive me crazy. Um, I come from a, 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 you know, a different era, obviously, but I was also... Uh, the kind of shortstop that had to move around to, you know, my, <laughs> my, my range happened an awful lot before, uh, before the batter hit the ball. So I, and I studied an awful lot about where I thought posing hitters would hit my pitcher against given pitches in given situations, you know, that night. So, you know, I, I, I would be more in the camp of drastically against legislating uh, against shifts and things like that, if uh, then I would be in the camp of you know this isn't you know the old school baseball that that I knew. I I, I am not one to say if a guy's always going to hit the ball here, but so we're, um, we're not allowed to put a guy there because that's not where the classical position has been. I, I, that that doesn't make any sense to me. I think you you make it incumbent on. On hitters to uh, learn about history and we will the killer keeler and hit them where they ain't. Well, you're talking to the same guy that on video games takes position players and creates them so they could pitch too. So I am 100 percent with you. Um, when you were trying to figure out where guys were going to hit the ball, I mean, okay, so you study where they're hitting the ball, but did you also have a sense for it, or would you look in to see what the catcher was calling? I mean, how did you? kind of get a feel for where you needed to position yourself. And did you get help? I mean, were, were they positioning you like you see a lot now, or were you kind of figuring that out on your own? I was figuring that out uh, on my own uh, with early help in my you know younger days from uh, Gene Mock, who was, uh, you know, he had, you know, we would go over before every game. Gene would get the the uh, catcher and, uh, and the middle infielders, but, Generally, me at shortstop and the center fielder, and and uh, we would go over, you know, what he and the pitcher and catcher had talked about how they're going to pitch each guy, and we were gonna, and we would look at the charts that were kept. You know, we didn't have the automatic technological data back there. We had notebooks, uh, 
of when each guy pitched and the guy that was pitching the next night would keep the chart and he would write down what the count was, what the pitch was, and where this particular hitter uh, hit the ball on the field, whether it was in the, on the ground or in the air. And we'd go over those things. And, and um, it, so we had our little handwritten uh, it, uh, charts about where we, you know, where the tendencies uh, were. And I learned, you know, I learned an awful lot about that from Gene and from those, those discussions. And then, you know, it's like Yogi told me one time, you can see a lot by looking. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I tended to watch. I've always tended to watch the game uh, fairly, uh, fairly closely about, it. you know, just you notice things. And, and so, you know, over, over time, you, you, then you go by gut instinct about what, how it looks like, uh, uh, what a hitter looks like he's trying to do and what his personality might be and what the situation is and, and those kinds of things. So. July 24, 35 years ago, Roy Smalley, you were playing uh, shortstop for the Yankees that day. And that is the day, of course, of the infamous Pine Tar game and George Brett. Uh, take us through your, your recollections of a game that ended with Tim McClellan calling Brett out for too much Pine Tar. And then I believe you guys then, late in that year, had to regroup and replay the end of that game because the American League said, no, you can't end a game like that. So I remember it very well. Billy Martin was a, was the manager, and someone went to Billy at, at some point in time and said, because um, uh, George had pine tar all the way up past the label of his bat, and it was caked on pretty thick. And a lot of hitters, it was a case of a lot of hitters. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it was clearly, you know, one of his favorite bats that had lasted some time, and, and we all know what kind of hitter uh, George was. Someone mentioned uh, to... You know, George, and I can't remember for sure now um, if it was um, an inning before um, uh, or, or at a bat before or whether he was coming up and then uh, because, I, you, you know, obviously I was in the I, I was playing shortstop. And so I didn't hear the conversation, but I, I knew that there that Billy was looking to for a time when he could uh, we, he could call uh Brett on you know having too you know the pine, the pine tar too high in the bat and that was the rule it couldn't go past a certain number of inches from the from the knob of the bat or whatever whatever the rule was well George comes up and and Gossage is in the game and Gossage throws him a high blazing fastball and George put one of the best swings I've ever seen a hitter put on a a, a, a pitch ever and hit one of the seats in right field <coughs> excuse me and. Um, Yankee Stadium, and um, after he had crossed the plate, Billy went out to uh, Tim McClellan and said, "You need to look at the bat. It's an illegal bat. You know, it's too much. You know, the pine tar is too high." So they got the bat and they looked at it and they measured. And they, you know, the rule book says what it says. And uh, when they they consulted, and they consulted the rule book, and and uh, you know, the famous scene when McClellan points at the at the bench and and calls George out, and George. You know, becomes a raving lunatic and runs out on the field and 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 uh, screams and yells and gets thrown out of the game and all that kind of stuff. So that's what happened. And then later on, uh, the the commissioner ruled that that was in fact the rule, but it wasn't in the spirit of <laughs> the rule. Yep. And and, and so uh, he said it counted. We had to go back and and finish the game later on in the summer. And I got kind of in trouble because I. 
you know, it was quote, it was somebody asked me about it, and I said, well, I, I wasn't aware there was a two, there were two rule books, you know, whether there was a, a rule book and then a spirit of the rules rule book, you know, and, and um, that got published a lot of places, and I, I got in a little bit of trouble, you know, about that. But uh, in, in, any, uh, in any case, we had to play the game again, and the home run stood, and we ended up losing the game. Do you have a favorite memory aside from that of playing for the Yankees? I mean, you weren't you weren't there for very long, but I mean, you certainly uh, rubbed elbows with some of their famous figures in kind of a weird time in Yankee history. It was a very weird time uh, of all of the uh, many eras of uh, the you know Steinbrenner reign. George was the craziest at the in the you know two year and a half or so years that I that I was there and this the player personnel moves and the different things that were happening swirling around the clubhouse and everything were 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 really strange even by Bronx Zoo uh you know uh from the Bronx Zoo standpoint uh, there's that standard but um yeah I mean I've got great memories of it, almost everything about it I mean from I mean, I hit a grand slam in the eighth inning uh, 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 to win a ball game, and uh, when I was had only been there a few weeks, and and uh, hit, I hit one in the third deck in Yankee Stadium, and you know to put us up five to one, it was one to one in the eighth, and in the bottom of the eighth, and I hit a grand slam and got called out of the dugout. Well, you get called out, you know, wearing pinstripes, you get called out in Yankee Stadium for that little tip of the hat. I mean, that's. You don't you don't forget that, and um, there were a lot of you know great moments like that. I played short behind Dave Gettys no hitter on July fourth and eighty three against yeah. the Red Sox, one of the best pitch games ever. That was I played you know the last four innings with my heart in my throat out there at shortstop. It was one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever been a part of. The uh, old timers day back in the day, I do I just sit you know all those guys would come out, I just sit as close as I could to. To Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford and Moose Scourin and and uh, you know those guys it, it, and just soak in the 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 history and and the the legacy. It, I mean, I'll never forget the time I was. I, I, I mean, I hated to leave Minnesota. I hated I hated when I got traded, and I was uh, I actually asked to be traded at, at the end of my uh, time there in in New York, and I was kind of you know glad that I I'd ultimately got back here, uh, obviously, but. But I wouldn't trade those two and a half years and, and, and all those moments for anything. Speaking of trades, give, give me your best guess. How, how many de- deals do you think get made uh, by the Twins before Tuesday or by Tuesday's deadline, Roy? Well, you know, I would say fewer than you think. And I don't know, and I don't know what that means. I'm, you know, I'll, be, I'll be surprised if, I guess I, the way to say it is I'll be surprised if there's a lot. And, and we've talked about this you know, on this show before. The filter gets very narrow. You have to look around. And, you know, if you're Falvey and Levine, you look around and you say, what do we need? Well, we, maybe they, they think they need a, a long-term catcher uh, solution. Who's got that and uh, would be willing to part for it for what package that, you know, of players the Twins would put together, or what player or or group of players? You know, that that, that starts narrowing down the funnel, right, a, right. the filter of, you know, it, okay, where else? Well, maybe do we want another you know, bullpen uh, guy. I mean, and, and who do we trade? You know, who's that guy that's really going to make an impact? It's hard for them, I think, to think about their club and think about what what they need when they don't really know about Bucks in the snow yet. We still we still think we know. We still have pretty high hopes for those guys. But, you know, until you know for sure, 
You know, I mean, if they were if they were healthy in all sense of the word, both physically and performance wise, in doing what um, you know we all expect them to do at some point, it might make it a little clearer about what that specific need is and who you could package together to go get that specific need to really to really make a difference. Right now, you look around and you say, well. Uh, I think Kepler's really going to be that player, and I think Buxton, uh, yeah, and I think Sano, yeah, and we need a closer for the long term. Rodney's not the long term answer. We might need a catcher, and but you know the the filter starts narrowing down. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. See you. See you, Roy. Uh, check out Roy's work, uh, Fox Sports North. He actually was the analyst on the uh, series in uh, Kansas City and uh, Toronto and did a fantastic job. Let's come back, uh, wrap up this hour. Chip Scoggins, our buddy from the Star Tribune, joins us, and also uh, Courtney Cronin from Vikings Camp. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. The decline of moral and ethical integrity. Let's hear it. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now up for grabs on the 1500 ESPN stream player, a $25 gift card. To Portillo's, thanks to Luther Brookdale Toyota Shop, where Mackie shops. Head to 1500ESPN.com. Click on the stream player to find out how you can win. Mackie back tomorrow. Matthew Collar in for uh, Phil today. Chip Scoggins right around the corner. All right, you got any more Zolgad uh, training camp tweets from 2009 you want to get out of your system? Okay. So I found another account of yours that you must have briefly started in, I don't know, 2010? Yeah, this is true. Yeah. No, it was, was no, okay. So, no, this is your account that you had in Minicamp 9. Yeah, I had, I've had at least three different Twitter accounts. So, this is not the one that is currently Access Vikings, where you can find anything you tweeted. And I think I'm, I think every time I come on from camp, I'm going to go find one of your old camp play by play tweets. So, here's some from Minicamp 09. Third-teamers now in team drills. Albert Young gets handoff. Albert Young, uh, running back. Booty just connected with Ian Johnson. Drill is in red zone. Uh-huh. Nice. Now it, on to team period. In 2009, Ro- this was groundbreaking. Rosenfels completes pass to Jamar Johnson. Shanko then handoff to Peterson. Cuts through traffic. Yeah. They wouldn't have had pads on. And you're talking about Peterson cutting through traffic. Yeah. But no pads, but he still cut through traffic, and he I cut. saw and I saw one of those fantastic jump cuts. Uh, Barryon drops pass, then makes nice catch on 15-yard pass from Rosenfels in corner of EZ end zone. Shanko fouls with reception. Yeah, this was the you type know, of information I brought you on a daily basis. You, they should have thrown uh, the ball to Bernard Barryon when Far was rolling out. It's wide open. Yeah, we're all aware of that fact. Oh, did you not know that? We're all aware of you the know, fact I that he's still games and he's make still, observations. I've, I've said this a thousand times. Bernard Berrien is still wide open on the far sideline at the Superdome waiting for that ball to be thrown to him. I mean, it's While Brett really is a... forcing it to Sidney Rice, ending the Vikings' hopes. It's a dump Dreams. off. I mean, he probably could have run for it, but even if he didn't want to, he could have dumped it right there to Bernard Berrien. Let's go back to today's uh, <laughs> Mackie and Judd, which today is Judd and Collar Should Twitter we? poll. 1500 ESPN. Yes, we should, because it's 530 votes deep right now, which is oh, wow. very impressive. Wow. Joe Buck brings out the uh, the Twitter voters. Dave Harrigan phrased it this way. The hatred began when he chastised Randy Moss in 2005 for a, quote, disgusting act. But Joe made a great call of Stefan Diggs TD to beat the Saints. Have you forgiven Vikings fan Joe Buck? Um, a guy on Twitter says, bleep Joe Buck. <laughs> that's <laughs> That's pretty much how this poll looks right now. Uh, Dave put no first and yes second, so perhaps, as Collar pointed out, that influenced people. Uh, but no, but nonetheless, right now the yeses are 
36% of Vikings fans Only have forgiven 36%. Joe Buck, wow. which if you're not good at math like me, means that 64% have not forgiven Joe Buck for something that happened in, two, in January 2005. Uh, Jeremy says, neither call changes my opinion. He rode daddy's coattails to get where he is today. I got bad news for you with play-by-play guys and daddy's coattails. Uh, Kenny Albert. <laughs> it's all of them. Kenny Albert, who's, who, Tom by the way, Brenneman. I like. Yeah. It, Joe Buck, that is an unfair criticism of Joe Buck, I think. Because even though he got the job really young, he would have been weeded some out. Some of those other guys didn't. Um, there are a lot of people who either got them because their dad was a play-by-play broadcaster, or their dad was an executive oh, yeah, no for question. wherever. Yeah. I mean, this is—it's one of the reasons. Other than <clears throat> the team wasn't happy with some of my critical analysis. Uh, one of the reasons oh, that, yeah, I, you got fired. Let's that talk, I didn't, let's, um, let's not, uh, that I, that I didn't continue doing it in part though, why I didn't look for other jobs or anything was because you realize that most of it, the people who end up with those jobs either went to Syracuse and just have this fast track and go to like broadcast camps when they're 13 and they like worship Bob Costas. So you're like. Wait, oh, I don't, no, no, no. Like, I liked Ken Griffey right. Jr., and they're like, I like Bob Costas. So you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe you're more into this than me. Costas is the greatest thing ever brought to sports broadcasting. Don't rip him. Okay, I'm not, I mean, that's fine if you think <laughs> that, but if you, like, that's the, I found that the difference. I mean, Bob and I are friends. The so difference I, between me and a lot of the people that came through that I met who wanted to be play-by-play broadcasters mm-hmm. is they would be like, let me rank my top eight play-by-play broadcasters in Major League Baseball. I'd be like, I never even heard of any of these people. I I, I that was watch, sort of, that was me. I enjoy sport. That was me. Oh, I, I believe I was that media, was you. I was I a totally, media junkie. I totally I have I have a twins program at home from I believe the nineteen eighty season at Met Stadium that has various signatures on it that includes Patrick Royce, Joe Souchere, and guys that covered the team. I was a complete yeah, I was a complete loser. I believe that. I could bring it in <laughs> for you to see. You don't have to do that. You sure you don't want to see it? Yeah, I'm good. It's pretty I, good. Let me let me read another comment from the poll, which again leans heavily towards people still hating Joe Buck. There's around one that here. says screw Joe Buck. I like this one. <laughs> I think we're making up history now. I think we're literally just inventing history on the poll. Uh, this comment says, I literally remember or I remember him literally pulling out his ownership certificate, as in Packer ownership, while calling a Packer Viking game. I think that's he a is joke. An owner. I'm pretty sure that's a joke. Right, I think that that person is kidding. Right, I, make it more clear. Because there's this. Packer, I don't like to make assumptions. Because he says literally, bias. there's no he sarcasm mode on Twitter. It could be true. I don't think there, it is. Because there's definitely this thing where people think he loves the Packers. But you know what's weird is the Packers win and have a great quarterback, and lo and behold, the play-by-play broadcaster praises the team that wins a lot and has the great quarterback. What? What's he going to say bad about the great quarterback? I know. Like, like what are you going to say? Which I think Dave uh, broached earlier in the show. Like, what's he going to say? Aaron Rodgers is overrated. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Right, right. It's like um, the Brady. You don't have to talk about it. Yeah, right. Idiot. Right. So are you just supposed to... <laughs> you don't have to talk about we're this going to We're going to ignore a major storyline in this game because it might annoy non-Packer fans. Rodgers back to pass, throws over the middle. Might have been caught, maybe not. See for yourself. I'll move on to the next play. That didn't look like that great a throw to me. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> Spiral could have been tighter, don't you think, Troy? All I know is that there used to be a time when I felt that home team broadcasters weren't always biased or weren't always non-biased, but they were more so. And I think now it's 
across the board, you got a lot of guys that just root for the home team and the fans. The fans love it. The fans love it. That which is why I think I think uh, Provis on the Twins is so good. He's very good. Yep. And he, it's not that he doesn't root for the team, but he draws enough of a line where if something bad happens, he doesn't try and sugarcoat it. I don't think. I, I just think no I think matter, he's outstanding. No he and matter Kurtz are my who favorites. it is or what role, and this is why everyone loves Jim Pete so much, it's if you bring me something that I wouldn't have known otherwise, I like you. That's why Smalley's so good. That's it. That's and, exactly. And Jim Pete and Smalley have the ability to criticize without it coming off as being sour grapes or mean-spirited. Because people too often look at everything that gets said as like positive or negative. Yeah. It's the same way Agreed. as people with like politics, where it's like, wait a minute, is that conservative or is that liberal? It's like, can we just talk about what it really is? You know, like, what's the best way to look at this? Yeah. It's the same thing. If Jim Pete says, you know, off that pick and roll, he didn't really go hard to the basket. Is he being negative? No. He's giving you something that you might not have noticed that is interesting and may change or affect the game or whatever. I don't look at that as being negative. I look at it as being interesting. Scoggins joins next. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN.